Now, uh, if you're new to Calvary, one of the things about us is typically we take a book of the Bible and we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse as we travel through. And we've just completed 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians over the past year. And I wanted to take a few weeks and only a few weeks to to consider what we're calling the unseen war. It's uh, That is a basic look of what we commonly refer to as spiritual warfare. And be, because we only have a few weeks to talk about this, I can only focus in on the things that we absolutely positively must know. And, and so uh, we're doing that and... Um, and uh, we began last week. And when we began last week, one of the things we talked about is that we really are in a spiritual war. We, when you were born spiritually, you were actually born into a war. You and I right now, we exist in what we would call uh, enemy territory, and that Satan has certain schemes that he wants to use against us to mess up the rest of our lives. And so uh, we talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about something that is so important, it's, and uh, we're, we're so emphatic about it here at Calvary. This is the one teaching, I might be so bold to say, this could possibly be the most important teaching that I could ever give you. This would explain uh, who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, and, and kind of the, the very core of who we are. Now, for some of you, because you've been around for some length of time, this might be uh, by way of review. But for some of us, it's going to be uh, brand new information. We're going to jump in and we've got to keep going because if we don't, we're going to run out of time. But I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And last week, we began looking at the first few verses. We're going to skip down uh, the first few verses of our, our, of our study, which is in chapter uh, verse 10, rather. And I want you to go all the way down to verse 17. And in verse 17, I'll read the whole verse, but we're going to focus in on the last part of the verse. It says, take up the helmet of salvation. And uh, the part that we're going to focus in on today, it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, what we find is that the Bible tells us that in this unseen war, beyond what we can see in the spiritual realm, there is one weapon that we have, and it's the Word of God. Something happens when you and I use the Word of God in the unseen realm, that, that so much so that he calls it our weapon. And uh, so what we're going to find is that because this is so effective, Satan will do everything he can possibly do to keep you and I away from knowing how to use this weapon, interacting with this weapon. He'll, do every, he'll fight you on this more than, than, than anything. And uh, we'll see that as we travel through. So um, in order to unpack this and, and get into this, I, I wanted to begin by, by uh, going to something that took place in Genesis. Now, if you, if you study the Bible, you're going to come across what they call the law of first mention. And what that means in theological circles is simply that when something is mentioned first in the Bible, the first time that it's mentioned, it's always significant. And uh, so it, it's, it's God's way of saying, this is the first time I'm mentioning this, so make sure that you pay attention. So what we're going to look at today is the first conversation that is recorded in the Bible, the first conversation that Satan has in the Bible. And there'll be a reason that uh, we, we, we talk about that today. But I want you to write this down as we unpack it. We're going to find that Satan's first recorded scheme was to attack God's word. You want to write that down. And we all know the story, God places Adam and Eve in, in the garden. And he says, you can you can eat of any of the tree, any of the trees in the garden that you want to eat, but there's this one tree, one tree and one tree only. I just don't want you to eat from this tree. And so we find as our story picks up, Eve is apparently standing near the tree, 
And uh, it says there in your outline, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree, and I've underlined any tree, of the garden? And one of the things we notice is that Satan begins to twist what God has said. And uh, the woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it, and I want you to underline or touch it or you will die. Now, if you know the story, God said don't eat it, but he never said anything about touching it. So Eve makes one of the classic uh, mistakes that many, many believers make. She adds to what God says, and that's never a good thing. She adds to what God says. And so the serpent then said to the woman, you surely will not die, and I've underlined that. So what we find is, is Satan comes and he begins to attack God's word, first of all, by twisting what God said. Eve, on the other hand, she adds to what God says. And then in the very end, Satan just completely denies what God says. That's not true. And that's certainly the place that he wants you and I, even as believers, to come to, to, come to where we say, well, that's, that's not true. And so he always attacks God's word. So the question then as we continue in this is why would Satan want to attack God's word? I mean, why would that be the first discussion recorded in the Bible that Satan has? Why is it that he would first begin by attacking God's word? Well, there's a a few things that Satan knows that we need to know. And we'll go through these rather quickly. First of all, Satan understands, and you want to write this down, that God's word is the starting point for discipleship. It's the starting point for discipleship. So notice this verse. Now I want you to underline a few words in this verse. It says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. When we think of twisting God's word, most of us are familiar with the second half of that sentence. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We've heard that, haven't we? And, uh, but what we're not familiar with is the first half. And I'm going to suggest to you that with the first half, uh, if we don't know the first half, the second half isn't true. And uh, we'll see that as we travel through. So you can read this little verse in the negative. For instance, we could read it like this. If you don't continue in my word, then you are truly not disciples of mine, and you will not know the truth, and the truth will not make you free. So the idea here is it all begins with God's word. If you remain in God's word, then you are truly his disciples. The result of that is you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. A moment ago I said, without the first part, the second part is not true. Uh, We've all heard people say, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, that's not true. And here's why. Do you know somebody right now who's addicted to some substance and they know they're addicted and they know it's wrong and they know it's destroying their life and they're not free? They know the truth, but that has not set them free. You see, it, without the first part of that sentence, the second part is not true. So it all has to be together. Does that make sense? Did you find that interesting? Just say yes, either whether you did or didn't. But, but So what we find in the Bible is that discipleship, growing as a believer, always begins and continues with God's word. 
which is why on the night that Jesus was arrested as, as uh, he's praying, one of the things that he prays for his disciples, he says this. He says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. When he says sanctify them, that means to set them apart for special service or, or to do your work in them, but do it in your truth. And so we don't miss it. He says, and by the way, your word is truth. Now what that means is that the work that God is going to do and you and I as growing disciples is going to be through his word. There is no other, there is no other way. It always begins and ends with God's work, with God's word. So Satan knows that, but he doesn't want us to know that. So if he can separate a verse and have us focus in on one part and miss the other part, he'll certainly do that. Another thing that Satan knows that, that he wants us to not know, and you want to write this down, is that God's Word is the source for our spiritual growth. God's Word is the source for our spiritual growth. Peter, writing to the church, he says this, he says, like newborn babes, and he uses the illustration there of babies, long for the pure milk of the word, I underline the word the, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So one of the things that we find in the Bible is that God's word is our food, is the food for our spirit. And in that little verse we find that, that to grow spiritually like a baby needs to take in its food continuously, you and I as believers need to take in God's word continuously, for by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. The word of God is the single mechanism that God uses to grow you and I spiritually. Now when uh, somebody, uh, um, you know in our family we have, we have 12 kids, and uh, so one of the things we've noticed is that when those babies are born they want to eat continuously. And it doesn't slow down when they're teenagers. Has anybody else noticed that? It's about put you in bankruptcy. They like graze through and there's like locusts have come through. Well, that's a story for another day. But, but the idea is that for a baby to grow, they, they want to eat continuously, continuously, continuously. So when somebody says, I am a Christian, God's Spirit has come into me, I've been saved, born again, converted, however they would term that, and there's no hunger for the Word of God, I really question that. Because one of the things I've realized is that with with babies, they're just hungry. They want to eat all the time. And so that's how they grow. You feed them. Years ago, uh, you know, when a baby doesn't, when a baby's not eating, that's never a good thing. It was years ago, as as I've said, we have have all, all these kids. And one of the things that we'll say is that sometimes God puts babies in mommy's belly, and sometimes God puts babies in mommy's heart, but either way, they're all ours. Well, back in 2009, we received a phone call about a baby who was born three months premature. She was one pound, nine ounces, and uh, she was in the NICU for three months. She was released to the birth mother. The birth mother had her for a few weeks and uh, was, was not able to care for the baby, and the baby wasn't really flourishing. So we, we got the call, and it was one of those times where you don't have a lot of time to pray about it, and God just says, yes. And so that night, literally that same night, she came home to our house, and uh, her name is Magnificent Promise Praise Plured. Uh, we call her, you probably see her running around, you call her Maggie, but her name is Magnificent Promise Praise Plured, because we're the family that gives our kids weird, freaky names. So <laughs> you have to be known for something, and that's, that's what we're known for. 
So, so a couple of things happened. First of all, when she showed up, she she was she came in with a she was in a car seat, which was apparently her bed for the last several weeks that she was out of the NICU. And when she showed up, there was a bag of baby food. Now, baby food is a wonderful thing, but when a baby is under six months of age, you know all they can really have is their mother's milk, or in this case, it would need to be formula. Anything else that you feed that baby, although it might be a wonderful thing, is only going to be poison to that baby. It's not going to help them. Moms, does this make sense? And so she arrived and there was no bottle. And so we realized that's probably why she wasn't thriving. So we kicked it into gear. Cheryl ran to Walmart, grabbed the formula, comes home, we make it up right in her mouth. And every three hours for the next uh, several weeks, every three hours, like clockwork, we fed her. Now, she was five months old and she weighed seven pounds when she arrived at our house. We took her to the, the pediatrician, and one of the things that we noticed, or he told us, is she's now gaining a pound a week until she came up to being normal where she needed to be. The pediatrician says it comes back to two things. You're feeding her regularly, and she's experiencing your love, and that's what's causing her to grow and to flourish. It's the same thing for you and I spiritually. Anything else that we take in will not feed us spiritually. God has given his word and his word alone to feed us spiritually. And like a newborn baby, the way that we grow is through God's word. We have to take it in constantly, which is why even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth from the mouth of the Lord. You and I believe that, that the, the word of God is God breathed. It comes straight from God's mouth. And it's what feeds our spirit. And I could give you a hundred different verses, but we have to move on. Peter, when he was, he encounters Jesus after Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus knows that Peter's about to go out as Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And Peter's going to go out and he's going to take the gospel. He's going to start churches. He's going to pastor. And, and Jesus says, Peter, I want you to focus in on one thing. And what Jesus says to Peter there in your outline, uh, Jesus said, feed my sheep. The primary task of a shepherd, a pastor, is to make sure that the flock that God has entrusted that pastor with is to make sure that they are well fed and and well fed on the word of God is, is the idea. That's why we focus in on doing what we do week after week here at Calvary. Now, when we're well fed, we tend to grow and we become stronger. Great illustration of this comes from John. John would write the church at large, and as he does, he writes to three groups of people, and and they're all in the same church, but they're all in different levels of maturity spiritually. There in your outline, we're going to find, he says, I have written to you children, these would be babes in Christ, because you know the Father. I've written to you fathers, these would be the, the fathers of the faith, we might say, because you know him who has been from the beginning. But the part that I want you to underline is he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So he writes to three groups of people, different stages of spiritual maturity. Babes in Christ, you know the father. They don't have a lot more information, they know the father. And uh, the goal is to feed them, feed them, feed them, have them grow. He writes to the fathers because they know him who has been from the beginning. That is, there's a depth of relationship from walking with the Lord for quite some time. And that's where we all want to be. We all started as babes in Christ. We want to wind up as, as that spiritual maturity, whether we call it fathers in the faith, you might say. 
But he writes to the young men in the faith and he gives us some details there that I think are important. First of all, we notice that he says that the word of God is abiding in them. Not casually interacting, but it's abiding in them. And you make the observation that he says, you are strong. And being strong, we notice that they are now overcoming the evil one. They're not being overcome by the evil one, but they are overcoming the evil one. And what we find is that when somebody is being overcome in some way in their life, by what we would say, spiritually speaking, by the evil one, if the problem is spiritual, then the only way to deal with that is spiritually. So as they become strong, now all of a sudden we find that there's a strength to stop being overcome by, but to start overcoming. And so it comes back to part of that is God's word. And so, so John highlights that. So knowing that, Satan will do anything that he can do to keep us from God's word because he knows that it will have that effect in our life. Well, something else that Satan knows that he doesn't want us to know, and I want you to write this down, uh, Satan knows that God's word brings peace in my life. And I, I could give a hundred different verses, I'll just give two very quickly. This is one of our, our family verses, and it says, great peace, not just kind of peace or little peace, but great peace, have they which love thy law. The law, of course, refers to the, the word of God. And nothing shall offend them, underline that word, offend them. Whenever you meet believers who are easily frazzled and offended, it usually means it's a believer who's not in God's word on a very consistent basis. Would you agree that in our society, we're an easily offended society? And no matter what you do, somebody's offended. And here's what this means. It's a society that does not love God's law and they do not have great peace. And the result is they are easily offended. So in in our family, when we see our kids bickering, I I know your kids don't bicker, but sometimes our kids do. (laughs) Am I alone in this? So so when they do, we'll sit down and say, guys, here's what we know. Here's what we know. When we go down that path and we're all accusing and bickering and we're offended and this one said this, here's what it means. We're not in God's word. We're not in God's word. Because the result of God's word in our life is great peace. And right now, we're not seeing great peace. And, and every time we have this conversation, oh, we know, we know, we know, and then we make that change. We make that change. So um, I love the illustration that, that, uh, that uh, was used, you know, that, like newborn babes, and using the illustration of a baby. If you ever notice when a baby is hungry, they're agitated, and there is nothing you can do to make them happy, I mean, when they're hungry, it's like nothing else is going to work. And so they're like, eh, 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 eh. and then and, and we've seen this in our house many times. You grab that bottle, you know, and they're, eh, 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 and you go like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, eh, 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 eh. and they go from agitation to peace. You've seen this, haven't you? And, and so that's what happens. That's why it's so important because it's God's word that brings peace. It feeds us and it brings peace. And that's what the word says. Satan doesn't want us to know that. Satan also, Satan also realizes very quickly, and you want to write this down, that God's word and God's spirit are one. God's word and God's spirit are one. You can never separate God's word from God's spirit. There's a lot of talk in our world about what it means to be filled with the spirit. 
And uh, if you're like me, I've been around the church block, been in a number of different environments. Some environments, they say, we don't want anything to do with God's Spirit or afraid of of Him in that way. Others would say, well, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, the way that you're going to know is you're going to fall down, you're going to roll around, and uh, you're going to lose control. It's going to be the most amazing experience. Well, um, here's what I would share, uh, and, and here's how Paul described it. Paul would say, don't turn to it, but it's in Galatians chapter 5. Paul would say the fruit of the Spirit, the outcome, the manifestation of God's Spirit in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. And so the manifestation according to God's Word is that when God's Spirit manifests inside, it never leads us to lose control. It always leads us to greater control. We would hold that Jesus was the most Spirit-filled man who ever lived. And so if He was the most Spirit-filled man who ever lived, then that Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, should make us look a lot more like Jesus, look a lot more like Jesus. So what does it look like when somebody is filled with the Spirit, how does that manifest? Well, Paul would write in the same book, Ephesians, in chapter 5, don't turn to it, I put it on your outline. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. He says, don't get drunk. He doesn't say you can't have a glass of wine. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So when you look at that, some people would say, you know, he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So therefore, being filled with the Spirit must look very much like being drunk with wine. Uh, actually, it's more like, don't go this way, go this way, is, is more the idea. Again, not, that, not just saying you can't have a glass of wine or whatever. He says, don't, you know, don't, be, don't be a drunk. Now, you notice he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He does not define what being drunk looks like um, because he's heard some of your college stories, and uh, so he knows. So you know, you know. So he doesn't feel like he needs to define that. But he does say, but be filled with the Spirit, and then he defines what that looks like. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, we just read it. it it's speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. Nothing about rolling around or losing control. God's Spirit manifests by speaking psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, that that sort of thing. Does that make sense so far? So if that's the case, then uh, if that's what being filled with the Spirit looks like, I want you to notice something else that this same Paul writes. And he says in his letter to the church of Colossae, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And I've underlined word of Christ. Richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Would you agree that based upon those two passages, that being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the word of Christ looks a whole lot alike? 
it's exactly the same manifestation. Now when it says word of Christ, uh, if you're, you've been here for any length of time, you'll know that the dividing line between everything that is Christian and everything that is not Christian, all Christians believe that Jesus is God and everybody else believes that Jesus is not God. It's the dividing line. So when it says the word of Christ, you can say the word of God. But when God's word is in you, that has a way of manifesting and speaking to one another one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Now Jesus, Jesus would say it like this there in your outline. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, this is the word that's coming out of Jesus, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. You can't separate God's Word from God's Spirit. If it's God's Spirit, He will always lead you back to God's Word. God's Word helps us to understand if what we're seeing as a manifestation is really God's Spirit, because you don't separate them. Does that make sense? Satan will do anything to counterfeit the manifestation of God's Spirit. And that's why we go back to the Word, because the Word tells us this really is the Spirit, and that both point to each other. So that brings us to our verse today. Um, I could go on and on about all the ways the Bible speaks about itself and why it's so important and what it does in our life. I've given you just a, a few things to consider. But in addition to all of that, we're told that the Word of God is also the sword of the Spirit, which means that we use that sword and something happens in the spiritual realm. I've put verse 17 from Ephesians 6.17 there in your outline. Here's what it says. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, and you notice that word for sword there is the word makaira. We'll come back to that which is the Word of God. And that word, word there is the word rima. That's going to be important for our study. So first of all, when he talks about the sword of the Spirit here, he uses the word makaira. Now um, in that language there were two words for sword. There was what was called the rumphaya, and uh, that would be when a Roman soldier took a long sword and you would swing it and you'd try to take off you know, an arm, a leg, or a head or something like that. It was a much longer sword. And this word, however, is very different. This word, makaira, means knife. This would be more like the concealed weapon. So it would be something that you would only use in, in, in a close quarter combat. So they come at you and you have to have great skill when you use this and you've got to stick them in just the right place. Just fun saying that. So that's the idea. So it's, it's something that you're going to have to have skill with to use because you're not just swinging hoping to hit something. This one here, when you stick it, it has to be in the right place. We'll see how that works. Then he says the word of God. Now that word word there in that, that verse is the word rima, which is defined by Thayer's, and here's, here's what it says. That which is or has been uttered by the living voice, a thing spoken or a word. In, in this case, the word is a specific spoken statement. It's not a conversation. So go ahead and write this down. The sword of the Spirit is the specific spoken statement of the Word of God. Now if he would have used another word for the word 
word, it would be entirely different. But here it, it refers to a phrase. It refers to a specific phrase is the idea. So what does it do? Well, there on your outline, the next verse comes from Hebrews. And in Hebrews it says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And interesting, that word there for sword is makaira. So the idea, a close combat, uh, great skill. And piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit. So spiritually speaking, it goes in and does its work. Of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when you, you think of that, when that specific statement goes out from God's word, it has a way of, of hitting, of hitting at just the right place. So you're, you're in a place and somebody's teaching, they're giving the word, and all of a sudden they use a certain verse and it just hits you in a certain way and you know that God has just spoken to you. That, that's one way that the sword of the Spirit would work. And so it can be used that way and it has a way of revealing and cutting between the intentions of the heart. You know, you hear something and you go, oh, that's, you know, it, it's revealed what I was really thinking. So that's one of the ways that that can work. But I, I wanted to, to focus in very quickly on the great example of how the sword of the Spirit works. And of course, the great example is going to be Jesus in, in our story here. When we began a few minutes ago, I talked about the law of first mention. And it was the first recorded conversation that Satan had. And his attack was on God's word. Now I want to come to the last recorded conversation that Satan has in the Bible. What we're going to see is that his tricks do not change, but the outcome changes based upon somebody's not using the word and somebody's using the word. So this will be the last recorded conversation. So in, in our story, most of us know the story. Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasted for 40 days and that's when Satan comes to tempt him. I've condensed the paragraph. You can read the expanded part later on, but, um, but here's how it goes. It says, the tempter came and said to him, coming to tempt Jesus, if you are the son of God, And so he begins to question some things, but I love how Jesus responds. Jesus says, but he answered and said, it is written, underline it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now what you notice very quickly is that Jesus doesn't enter into a conversation about why he is or how this should be. He just says, it is written, and he gives the specific spoken statement from the word of God. Everybody see that? Then it goes on, and it says, uh, and as we we read the story, there's another temptation. Of course, I've I've kind of skipped over that. You can read it later. But Satan comes to the place, and he says, you know what? You keep keep using Scripture. So Satan finally says, so I'll use some Scripture too. So it goes on. It says, then the devil said to him, for it is written. Satan says, I'll quote Scripture too. Now, if you know the story, Jesus listens, and it says, and Jesus said to him, on the other hand, and I want you to underline on the other hand, it is written. And of, of course, it's at that the third time Jesus says it is written, Satan decides, okay, I'm, I'm done, I'm going away. Again, what we notice in this as the example, you have the first conversation, the last conversation. 
very, very different results. Jesus doesn't debate. He doesn't explain. He just says, it is written. You and I might say, well, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And, and I love when Satan tries to use Scripture, he twists it, and Jesus says, well, on the other hand, it is written, and he just comes back. Again, no debate, no conversation, just it is written, and he just gives what God's Word says. And uh, why is that so important? Well, the result is that after three times, Satan leaves. Now, certain uh, commentaries you could read, and they would say, Satan came and he tempted Jesus in every way imaginable. You know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, you know, all of those things, and they build the case on that. And that, that's possibly true. But it could also be that after three times, because it's the sword of the Spirit, three times saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, Satan decides, I'm done. I'm done. And uh, there, there's a great possibility to that. We'll see in a moment. So, having said that, I want to give you three things that you need to do to become effective with the sword of the Spirit. And uh, so number one, go ahead and, and write this down. First of all, read it. Read it. I, if you look up Jesus' three responses and you were to go to the side of your Bible that tells you where they come from, they all come from the book of Deuteronomy. They all come from within a page and a half of each other. And uh, so, for instance, the first response that Jesus gave was, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's right from Deuteronomy. So some people suggest that maybe Jesus had his devotions in that section of Scripture, and so that day it was fresh in his mind and he was able to say that. I think that's true, but of course it's Jesus, so I think it's a whole lot more. So that's, that, that would be, uh, so, but some suggest that. But I, I notice when we read the Bible on the daily basis, it, it feeds us, it grows us, it makes us strong. We've talked about that. Uh, another thing that we didn't mention, which is also in the book of Ephesians, it says there in your outline, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. There's something about being in the Word of God on a daily basis constantly that has a way of cleansing us. Uh, one, of the ways, one, of the, one of the ways is that as, as we read through Scripture, we find things that we say, you know, I'm doing this, the Bible says this, I realize I need to make a change, and so that has a way of cleansing us. But spiritually speaking, it just has a way of, of, of cleansing us. You just feel that, that uh, God has done something when we do that. How much should you read? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know that you should be in God's Word on a daily basis. I grew up in a, in a youth group. It was a wonderful youth group. And they were very big on, on this is the amount. So they said, every day you need to read three chapters of the Bible every day. And so we did. We just read three chapters of the Bible every day. Now, I'm one of those people that says if three is good, five is better. So I, 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 you know, I, I tried to read five every day. And I, and I did that through, through high school and college and, and seminary and all that. So so, but you need to set some time aside every single day. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. So I'm just going to highlight that there this week. The second thing that we need to do is we need to hide it, hide it. And uh, David, King David in the book of Psalms, he said it like this. There in your outline, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And, and the, the idea is, he says, I want to make sure that your word is inside of me. So when a decision comes up, I already know what it says so I can make the right decision. So he had hidden it in his heart. 
Jesus apparently had hidden God's word in his heart so that when Satan comes, he knows the specific spoken statement to give, which is using the, the sword of the Spirit. He knew, he knew just the right one. He had memorized it, obviously. How do you do that? I'll share with you what works for me. The point isn't the method. Whatever works for you works for you. But years ago, I, I wanted to, to memorize some specific spoken statements. And so what I did was I found some promises that I would, I would hear a promise from the Bible or a verse from the Bible. I go, oh, I want to know that. So I went out and I bought some three by five cards and I just started writing down verses and I would write them down and it was about 10 verses, I guess. And so every day I would, I would see the verses, I would say them out loud. And I, I did that for probably about a month and, and it just, just went through the verses. And what I found is by the end of the month, I, I knew the verses. I, and I would just say them, you know, here and there throughout the day. And then I saw other verses. Oh, I'm going to add that too. And I, I, I you know, got more three by five cards and added that. Well, then I, I found that I had, without intentionally trying to memorize, but just by going over them time and time again, they, they'd become memorized over time. And then what happened was I had the stack and the, I had to split the stack in two. And so one stack, you know, then it became two stacks. And so I, every day I'd go through one stack and the next day I'd go through the next stack. And then over time that added to that. And, you know, there's just stacks. And so now this is about five stacks. And, and uh, every morning when I get up, one of the first things I do is I grab the first stack that's in the front and I go through my cards. I just go through my cards. I just want to refresh them. And over time, I've memorized with, without trying to intentionally memorize just by going over it each and every day, you know, a, a couple, couple of hundred of those. And, and uh, but here's what I would say. I feel creepy telling you that part. But, but uh, what I would say is that if you decide to do that, don't start with 100, because if you start with 100, you won't, you won't memorize any. But if you start with 10, and over a period of a month, and you go over them every day, you're going to memorize those. And then the next month, add five. And then the next month, add five. And you'll be surprised what takes place over time as you, as you do that. Now, if you're wondering, what do I memorize? Again, one of the things that we have, we have a list of promises. If you give us your email address and your name, we'll, we'll send you a Word doc. It has about 100 promises that you can begin. Go through and find the ones that pertain to your situation right now. Write those down and just, just begin to go over them and see see what God does over time. But you've got to hide it in your heart. Um, here's why that's so powerful. A few moments ago as we looked at the final conversation that Satan has, Satan says, I'll use scripture. And Jesus says, on the other hand, it is written. In our world today, in America, most of the major cults, when they look for people to join their cult, they show up at your house they meet you wherever it is they meet you. Uh, one of the things they do is they show up with the Bible, they open up and they begin to point in the Bible. And, and what takes place is that because most people who grew up in a church background never came to know their sword very well, they're now susceptible to somebody who shows up and says, hey, did you know it says this? And, and they don't have the ability to say, on the other hand, it says and what you want to have is the ability to say, on the other hand. And when you say, on the other hand, trust me, they'll put you on the list. They won't come to your house anymore on Saturday morning, and they'll stay away. But uh, you want to have that so that you don't get taken away 
from, from all that. And then number three, write this down. Speak it. Speak it. There, there's something in, in all of those places where Jesus just said, it is written, he spoke it out loud, he said it, he said it. One of the most powerful things that you can do is just say, well, you know the Bible says, you know the Bible says, and here's what you'll find. You'll find that because it divides, what it will do is somebody will say, tell me more, or somebody will get really irate and say, don't even talk to me anymore. Have you ever told somebody, well, you know the Bible says, and immediately they get angry? And, say, and, and then you say, well, you, you know, the Bible says, and you're being polite, but they just get angrier and angrier and angrier. And it's not very long before they go, I'm done. I don't even want to talk to you. Why? Well, that's the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit going in. And it divides. And some will say, I need to hear more. Others will say, don't tell me anymore. And they become irate. But you need to have that sword. This is your weapon. Now, that's the starting point for everything we're going to talk about next week. We're going to end right there. Did that make sense today? Well, let's go ahead and close in prayer, and uh, we'll pick it up next week. Heavenly Father, as we wrap this up today, the, as we consider your word, it's, it's the source of growth. It's, it's the source of truth. It's where we find peace. It's where we experience your spirit And it's the sword that divides, and it's the sword that reveals. And we pray, God, that as a congregation in this time in which we live, that we would be those who would be so skilled with your sword, not to go around and annoy, but hopefully to reveal and to bring those to you. And then, Father, to be effective as we are now in this, this battle. Father, we pray that in all things that we always represent you well. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.